Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. This is Todd Pruitt. As always, I am joined by my co-hosts, Amy Bird and Carl Truman. And uh, we are broadcasting from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley today, Harrisonburg, Virginia, my home, the place that I love at uh, the church that I love, Covenant Presbyterian Church here. And um, we are actually, it's the morning of the Friday where we are launching our uh, Blue Ridge Bible Conference uh, on sexuality and gender and what it means to be human. And one of the speakers that is with us this weekend for the conference is Tim Geiger. Uh, Tim is the president of Harvest USA. Um, he's a graduate of Westminster Seminary. He is a teaching elder in the PCA. Um, he and his family live in the Philadelphia area. And uh, Tim made the drive down here to be with us for this weekend event. And uh, there's some things that uh, we want to talk with Tim about and gain some wisdom from. Tim, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. Excellent. Now, now, Tim, tell us, uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with the work of Harvest USA, um, but there will be some who aren't familiar with, and, and we would want them to be familiar with the work of Harvest USA. So before we get into other points of discussion, let us know a little bit about what Harvest USA is and, and the work that you all do. Well, thank you, Todd. Harvest USA is a ministry that has been around since 1983. We started as an outreach to unchurched gay men in Center City, Philadelphia. But pretty soon after uh, we were started by 10th Presbyterian Church uh, in that city, we began reaching out to all kinds of people dealing with all kinds of uh, sin issues related to sex, sexuality, and gender. Mm -hmm. And so within the first year, we were ministering to men struggling with heterosexual lust, women struggling with lesbianism, uh, parents of people who struggled, spouses of people who struggled, uh, and folks who struggle with uh, with gender. So uh, in the last year, we ministered to nearly 900 people uh, mm -hmm. just out of our two offices yeah. in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we believe we equipped somewhere in the neighborhood of about 63,000 people mm -hmm. Uh, through different training events that we do, through our website uh, and and other media. So. That's excellent. And I would just, as a pastor, I would encourage any pastors listening to avail yourself of the materials that uh, Harvest USA makes available. Make, avail yourself of their ministry. They do an excellent job. And again, as Tim mentioned, the ministry has expanded from just as an outreach towards um, homosexual men, but but a whole variety. Of, of, of all those kinds of categories of sexual sin. And as any pastor knows, this is a an exceedingly relevant uh, subject in an area of, of great ministry need. And Harvest is, is out there doing excellent work that you can trust. If you're a lay person who wants to, to find some good biblical pastoral guidance, um, check out their material. Get on their website. Um, we uh, we recommend their work very much. Well, we're we're glad that Tim is here, and Tim is going to be speaking at the conference we're holding this weekend uh, on the biblical vision for for sexuality, and also you know the the issues related to 
a kind of nomenclature that is that is growing for instance in in my own denomination the pca of of you know gay christian etc and so we want to just kind of pick tim's brain a little bit on on some of those issues tim you um wrote a really thoughtful and, and i thought really excellent review i guess i could call it of your experience you, you went and observed the revoice conference uh, last summer, which was held at a PCA church in in St. Louis, and and you came away, I thought, with some really excellent observations and questions uh, regarding what you heard and what you saw. I can't help but be interested in this because, like you, I'm I'm a part of of the PCA. I, I wonder because probably none of our listeners um, are going to disagree about you know marriage, uh, about the parameters of sexual activity. But there are some other important issues where where those of us that agree on marriage are are disagreeing on some other attendant matters, which we believe are important. So I wonder if you could just briefly outline kind of what you heard at Revoice, and um, and then we can kind of go go from there. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Todd. Yeah. Um, Revoice was an interesting uh, event mm-hmm. to attend, and and it's more than an event because. Right. Uh, it started with a conference, but Revoice is actually an organization. It it just gained nonprofit status this week, uh, as a matter of fact. And it is, it's a phenomenon and a movement within the Reformed community. Right. It seems to be focused primarily on millennial mm-hmm. uh, folks in that community, and uh, in in particular the. Uh, population of folks in the millennial community who self-identify as LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, and their allies. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I think Revoice has garnered so much attention is because of a very real uh, and, and valid issue, mm-hmm. and that is the Reformed Church historically has not done well with issues of same-sex attraction yeah. or, or gender dysphoria yeah. within the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tended to do one of two things: to either say, "Well, it's not really an issue," mm-hmm. uh, you know, no one in this church would struggle with that, and as a matter of fact, if you do struggle with those things, you're probably not a Christian to begin with. Yeah. Or uh, we say it's it's just a worse sin than any other kind of sin. There's no way to to deal with that in the church. Um, you you need to go and and find help uh, in the secular community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any answers for yeah. you here. So. My opinion of her voice is that it's trying to answer good questions, but I think it's coming up with some some bad answers. Yeah, yeah. And one of the one of the central questions is what place do people who experience same sex attraction and gender dysphoria have in the mm-hmm. church? Uh, so, some of the areas where I, I would tend to disagree with some of the. The platforms that that Revoice stands on are the the nature of identity and personhood. Do I have the right to call myself a gay Christian? Um, What what does that mean for me? What does that mean in terms of my identity? What does it mean in terms of my future? What does it mean in terms of my calling? Uh, Something else where I would tend to differ with Revoice is on the the nature of the church. Uh, One of the things, and and Revoice, I, I think, needs to do a better job of, of choosing its words when it talks about this, because I've had conversations with several people connected with Revoice. They, they say, up, up, down, backwards, and frontwards, 
that this is not what they intend to say. Mm-hmm. But what what I hear is that Revoice really wants to see uh, queer culture, gay culture, come into the church and and retain its integrity as mm-hmm. as a subculture. Uh, and the third area where I would disagree with Revoice is on the nature of change and repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what Revoice seems to be saying is, if as a 20-year-old I experience same-sex attraction, then I should believe the cultural lie that right. says I'm gay, and it's an orientation which is going to be lifelong, right. and I should never expect God to change. Yeah. What yeah. is the appeal then that you're finding um, in interacting w- with them um, in identifying as a gay Christian. And I mean, I know I've been in a lot of conversations with people who say, well, it's kind of like people who identify as as alcoholics. So what would you say would be the difference maybe um, between identifying as a gay Christian and identifying as an alcoholic who's a Christian? And and what is, what is the appeal that you're, you're finding for them to really want to attach themselves to this identity? Sure, and I, I think Amy, you've you've hit the nail on the head, maybe without intending to do it, and, <laughs> and it's oh, all I about the nature of identity. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. It, it's all about the 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 nature of where do I fit in? Where do I find the sweet spot of where people have things in common with me? I have things in common with them, and where I feel like I don't have to be, uh, where I feel like I don't have to pretend to be someone else. Mm-hmm. That that was something that I heard multiple times mm-hmm. at the Revoice Conference from multiple speakers, um, the, the sense that finally I don't have to put on a mask, I can just be who I am mm-hmm. uh, without having to live up to someone else's expectations. And, and I think that that's the, the main appeal mm-hmm. of calling oneself a gay Christian or a queer Christian. like you're trying to mask. Right, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're being true to yourself, mm-hmm. but among other gay or queer Christians, you have this sense of of explicit community. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have people who are going to be a family to you, people who are going to understand your experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we tend to we tend to undermine the importance of that. Right. You know, th- one of the one of the reasons I think the Lord has made the church the church is because he wants us to walk through shared experiences of growth and sanctification, of growth and repentance, of mm-hmm. growth and faith, of, of suffering together, of, of rejoicing together, because he wants us to experience those things together as a people. Mm-hmm. The, the cultural lie that a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community believe is that they are fundamentally different from yeah. the straight population. And so this is a way for LGBTQ identified Christians to feel like, finally, I have I have people who get me. I have people who understand me. I have people who can walk through life with me. Mm. So how is that different than from people who are like are going to AA meetings and saying that you know here's my community as an alcoholic and I'm a Christian and I can identify myself that way? So I think that there are some similarities, but there are also some differences. Um, someone who uh, self-identifies as an addict, mm-hmm. whether it's with alcohol or or some other substance would see that as something of a pathology. Right. Uh, whereas increasingly in the gay community and in, in, in the queer community, and I'll, I'll just use the term gay because those yeah. two things are, are kind of interchangeable. Um, in the gay community, uh, people are seeing this less and less as a pathology, even though Revoice wholeheartedly 
uh, endorses the belief that same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria are results of the fall. Um, what, what I experienced in terms of their approving of people living in gay culture and, and clinging to gay culture seems to indicate some some squishiness, and, right. and that's my theological term of the day. So yeah, squishiness yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of, you know, I can have a foot. Yeah, we don't really talk camps. about alcoholic culture, no, right. or redeeming alcoholism, right. exactly. or no. um, mm-hmm. yeah, and and the alcoholic, while he will say, you know, while in a conversation it may come up that you know he's a recovering addict, um, so he goes to AA meetings, um, he'll never introduce himself as an alcoholic Christian or or. Uh, it won't become a prominent feature. He may acknowledge it. He certainly might acknowledge it in a in a in a support group meeting, but it, it won't be something that he will tend to advertise in general. Sure. And and you know, forgive me for being crass, but an alcoholic Christian probably would not go around wearing right. a Bud Light T-shirt, yeah. whereas a gay Christian might might see it as a symbol of pride or identity to to wear a rainbow. Pin. Right. How do you address the issue, Tim, that, that's come up a few times, where the, the distinction between behavior and orientation, where mm-hmm. the idea that the, the orientation is not sinful in and of itself, uh, but reacting, responding to following that orientation is? How, how would you, uh, you know, a young person who comes to you and tries to make that distinction, how would you address that with them? Carl, that is a question that I think if, if we had, you know, a hundred of these podcasts, <laughs> I don't even know that we could scratch the surface uh, of it properly. But my my best ninety second response is: I, I don't think, I don't think an orientation is something that is necessarily unchangeable, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think it's something that's necessarily God given. I, I think that our experience of orientation is frequently a a complex system of experiences, reactions to those experiences, the worldviews that we develop as a result, uh, all being processed through our sinful hearts. And so at the end of the day, the, the orientation that I might come up with uh, as to how I, I ought to live my life has, has been something I've been constructing over the course of, of years, probably a lifetime, mm-hmm. that tells me this is how I find maximum coherence as an individual. This is how I find maximum happiness. This is where I feel like I fit in. Um, you know, we, we certainly do have an orientation that's given to us by God, and that is to be inclined toward him, mm-hmm. to, to be an image bearer, to be someone who serves him and, and loves him, uh, and is a light to uh, the, the people around us in terms of reflecting his, his image into their lives. Uh, but sin has, has broken that. And so, you know the the average LGBTQ person who talks about living out of their orientation today. I don't I don't think that they are really living out of an orientation that was innate. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're living out of an orientation that was given to them by the Lord. Yeah. I think they're they you know with probably no conscious sinful intent on their part. They're living out of this this series of worldviews that they've constructed that says. This is how I can make my life make mm. the most sense. Mm. And maybe, maybe this is answering the question, Carl, that you didn't ask, but um, I, I do think that the, the presence of same-sex attraction in and of itself is the result of sin. 
But I, I do believe it is somewhat different than volitional sin. And so in, in the statement that we have on our website, uh, harvestusa.org, it's up there, anyone can, can look at it, on same-sex attraction, we, we make a difference, a differentiation between the volitional sin of acting on desire to, to lust after someone or, or to have sex and being drawn to that person uh, or being drawn to a population of people in general mm-hmm. uh, in, in a sexual way. You, you don't generally have any control over that draw and that's why it feels so natural to people. Um, and yet at the same time, it's something that over the course of time, probably in, in ways behind the, you know, the, the curtain, we've cultivated that desire and, and developed that, that mm-hmm. sense of, of meeting those, uh, those desires by being drawn to someone. We, we, we make a difference, distinction rather, between uh, being drawn to someone through the presence of same-sex attraction and acting on that. Or even the teaching of rightly orienting our desires, um, even if you're not same-sex attracted, you're gonna have um, sinful draws. Sure. <laughs> and, and sinful thoughts and, and sinful desires. And, yeah. and we need to confess those to the Lord and to, to, to rightly orient our desires. We're called to do that. We do. I mean, Romans 12, one and two says, uh, paraphrasing, as as your minds are changed, your behavior will be transformed, and what we're called to do is offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Right. What we're called, you know, elsewhere Paul talks about it, is putting to death the, the desires of the flesh. Right. We're called to put to death those desires inside of us, no matter how natural they may yeah. feel, in order that we would serve God, yeah. which is our true orientation. Right. Is there an analogy, Tim? I remember when I was, uh, was young, a younger Christian, you know, you're a teenage guy, you're going out with a girl, and the the question you always want to ask is, how far can I go? And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, well, you know, you ask that question, you're already asking the wrong question mm-hmm. at that point, because you're you're asking, you know, what risks can I take without falling into really serious jeopardy? Is there a sense in which the revoice movement, for all of probably the good intentions that lie behind many of the people involved, is pastorally dangerous because it's kind of addressing that how close can we go without actually falling over the edge? Mm. Carl, I think that that's actually the the slipperiest slope that uh, Revoice puts Mm. Christians on. And again, I don't don't think that they do this with any kind of of premeditation. Mm. Um, But to say that you can call yourself a gay Christian and identify yourself with a pattern of sin that you yourself acknowledge is sinful and and that Jesus had to die to deliver you from, why would you continue to entertain that, to to even entertain it to the point where you engage in gay culture, where you're putting yourself in in, uh, contact rather with other folks who perhaps don't have the same guardrails that you do, people who might tempt you to sin, uh, even you know, even in terms of contemplating gay culture and 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 gay identity, it, it seems as though our own hearts would would tend to lead us to be tempted and, and to sin in those right. ways. Why would any Christian want right. to do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, Tim, you mentioned um, earlier uh, sanctification and and kind of this is I, I think. Partly where, where we're drawing to here is is in terms of some of the implications of of, of what you just said, and 
Certainly. And, and this, is, this has been one of the things that's concerned me about some of the folks associated with, with Revoice is there, there tends to be a, um, a, an abandonment of any hope that something can change in me. And so, therefore, you know, I'm, 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 I must always be celibate because, because I, because this thing is a given part of who I am. It's tied to my identity, and it's not, and it's not going to change. And I don't want to minimize the fact that n- not just uh, sins connected to to same sex attraction, but sins connected to any kind of, you know, dishonesty, anger, w- what have you. Different individuals struggle at different levels with different types of sinful inclinations, temptations, etc. That said, if I struggle, for instance, with anger, and I'm a Christian, I should never operate with the assumption that I can't become less angry, or or that I can't become more gentle. Um, and I I'm I'm concerned that some of the things we get from Revoice and and those that I would would identify with them is that there's almost a a fence built around this area of, of sexual orientation to say, well, well, yes, you can you can become less angry, you can become gentle where you were argumentative, that kind of thing. But this part of me won't change, as though as though we've cordoned it off from the power of of the Holy Spirit. And again, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be a perfectionist. Um, I don't want to stumble into that error. Um, and I never want to tell somebody that if you'll come to Christ, your your temptations go away. Actually, we might say your struggle is going to increase in some ways, but there are manifestations of, 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 of so-called reparative therapy that are, I think, damaging and deeply problematic. At the same time, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, the Holy Spirit's just not going to touch that area of your life. You know, Help us think through that a little bit. Again, avoiding the, the errors of, of, of perfectionism, um, and at the same time, avoiding the error that that God just can't change my affections. Yeah, and this this is reminding me eerily of my or, uh, my ordination exam on the floor of Presbytery. Uh, so, uh, so <laughs> um, just uh, but yeah. it, it's a good good question, but a but a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. So, I I think that change comes because of not something that we gin up in ourselves. You know, we we can't create the power and the impetus and and even the desire in the first place mm-hmm. for change in our own hearts. If if any of us wants any kind of change in any part of our lives, that has to come from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we we have to to trust the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do in the the ways in which He wants to do it and in in His timing. Um, the the typical man or woman who struggles with same-sex attraction has no ability in in themselves to experience um, sexual desire for someone of the opposite right. sex. And, you know, the, the, the church needs to acknowledge that part of the way in which we have not loved uh, our struggling brothers and sisters mm-hmm. well is we've, we've put that burden on them and said, yeah. this is what repentance looks like for you. Right. That you're going to stop lusting right. after guys and you're going to go out and get married and have kids. Right. You know, we, no one has the ability to do that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my, my experience, both being someone who has struggled with same-sex attraction and ministering to, to hundreds of, of people who have struggled with same-sex attraction over the years, is that there, there is a continuum of what right. repentance looks like. For, for everyone, it looks like living chaste lives. Yeah. 
So whether that means you live a chaste life as a married mm-hmm. uh, person, it means you don't lust after uh, anyone and, right. and you're only sexual with your spouse. Uh, if, if you're single, it means you're, you're not lusting after anyone and you're not sexual with mm-hmm. anyone. Uh, and so, you know, my, my best friend uh, is uh, a man who has experienced same-sex attraction for most of his life. Uh, he is, uh, he, I don't want to out him, but mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of approaching his golden years right now. Mm-hmm. He has no expectation he's ever going to be married to a woman, and yet he is walking in what, what I have experienced to be complete repentance mm-hmm. because he sees himself as someone who is chaste unto the Lord. Yeah. And, and he loves the Lord and he is not acting on, on his desires at all. For, for folks like me, the, the Lord has worked in through a different providence. Right. And I developed sexual attraction to the woman who became my wife and we now have a family. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is a, a wide variety of, right. uh, of, of ways in which the Lord would work. And I think as the church, we need to communicate that one is not better than the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are the same sex attracted person walking in repentance and called to singleness, you are of equal value mm-hmm. with the same sex attracted person who is now married and has a family. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, think, do you think the church has kind of lost some of its moral authority to speak into this issue well and to minister to same sex attracted people, Christians particularly, um, as well, just for the way that we have also kind of ignored the divorce rate and handled that, how that is in the church and uh, the pornography that is rampant among Christians within the church and, and how we're handling uh, sex outside of marriage and how we oftentimes just kind of yeah, wink pr- at promiscuity it. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about rightly orienting our desires in that way. Sure, definitely. I mean, there there are far far more far many more uh people in the church who struggle right. with heterosexual lust right. than homosexual right uh, and you know yeah. how many sermons do you hear about that mm-hmm. how much teaching do you hear about that and yet you know statistically six out of ten men in in a church on any given lord's day will have looked at pornography at some point right. over the last month three out of ten women will have and about eight out of ten teens will have yeah but you I mean, outside of you know the the occasional youth group talk, you rarely hear about things like that. And so, you know, to everyone who's listening today who is in a, a Bible believing church, pray for your leaders and and talk with your leaders. Help them to realize this is an issue which not just is important to talk about, mm-hmm. but this is an issue which is crippling the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that that Paul says that that we often misappropriate in Scripture is in First Corinthians six. Where, where Paul makes this statement about sexual sin being a, a different kind of sin than the non-sexual sin. Yeah. And, you know, we, we often, you know, pull that as a, as a proof text uh, when we say that homosexuality is a worse pattern of, of sin or that adultery is, is worse uh, than, than other kinds of sin. The reason Paul says that sexual sin is a worse kind of sin is from the, the surrounding text, and that is we are joined to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and when we sin sexually, um, regardless of, of what that looks like on the outside, when we sin sexually, we not only do violence to the, the other people about whom we're lusting mm-hmm. or, or, or with whom we're in relationship, but we're doing violence to our relationship with the Lord and to 
the other members of the body with us. And it just makes it so much more difficult to live the way that we were created to live when we are in bondage to, to shame and guilt as a result uh, of, of acting out sexually. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we interviewed David Ayers um, a while back from Grove City College on his, his book on marriage. And, and one of the points he really drove home in our discussion with him was that the, 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 the latest manifestations of the, of, the, of the newest kind of sexual revol- revolution in terms of homosexuality and that kind of thing is just simply the fruit of the sexual revolution's incarnation and, you know, 50 years ago in the, the, the liberating, so to speak, of, of sex outside of marriage. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the inevitable fruit of, of the church kind of tolerating sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. You know, Ayers brought up the, the question, how many churches um, in, in their premarital process uh, first determine whether or not this couple is living together and whether or not they are engaged in a sexual relationship before they're married? Um, I, I know of churches that don't do any kind of, in, you know, work de- delving into that. And, and what that communicates is, well, that you know, we, we say don't do this, but we're really not gonna gonna press the issue too much, and uh, and it's so like that with pornography too. Right, Yet right. nobody would want to identify. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you would identify as a porn addict. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 the, the statistics that you know you just cited are are. I mean, we and anybody involved in pastoral ministry knows. I mean, ask any pastor, and you know this in all the work you do with pastors. I'm sure. You know what? What? What are some of the chief issues you're having to deal with as a pastor? And I mean, sexual sin, sexual brokenness, sexual issues are usually going to be the first thing that we mention. Sure. And it's it's devastating individuals. You know, again, Paul's line from First Corinthians six. You know, anyone who sins in this area sins against their own body. They involve, you know, as people who are united with Christ, that has implications about you know sexual sin that makes it particularly troublesome uh the the way that sexual sin affects the other people around us um and it's it's far from homosexuality is far from the only problem here i i completely Um, agree yeah well it's been a very sobering conversation tim but uh, thanks very much for Mm -hmm. giving your time to be with us today uh, I want to direct uh, listeners to the work of Harvest. I think your website is harvestusa.org. That's right. Uh, please go and visit Harvest's website and uh, see the resources they have there. Speaking just out of my own relatively short time as a pastor, I sent a number of congregants uh, struggling with various issues down to, to Harvest to get help, and um, they were tremendously helped by the support and the, the wisdom uh, that they received uh, at Harvest. So please go and check out that website, check out the resources. Uh, Tim, is there a book that you would recommend that our listeners might want to get hold of to sort of address some of the issues we were talking about today? Sure, there are uh, a few really good books uh, that I would recommend. One is called Hide or Seek, uh, which is by our founder, John Freeman. Uh, and that's really meant to to help men in particular think through do I have an issue with lust? Is this something that I need to, to, to find help with? Uh, there's another really good resource uh, called When Your Husband Struggles with Pornography, mm. uh, something that so many women in, in the church uh, need to read just mm. because uh, they need to realize that there is help and this isn't something that, that they have to yeah. endure forever. 
Um, we have a bunch of other resources to actually help folks who are struggling uh, on our website as well. Great. Well, we will try to get hold of some copies of Hide or Seek by John Freeman to offer as our premium today. So if you're listening, go please go to our website, uh, check out the resources we have there. Notice we do have a donate button. Please give us your money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, also enter for an opportunity to win uh, Hide or Seek by John Freeman. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast, and we will speak with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... If God is not... Self, self-existent and self-sufficient and if he's not life in and of himself instead if he's a God who who depends on us in some way well that actually changes how we view salvation in the gospel we'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin like it actually get further away if you just push you know maybe go to another room even that would be uh, ideal see see i'm the only non i'm the only non-feminist here but i don't say those kinds of things to you amy i just want you to know that that's because it's ironic when i do it todd <laughs> uh, it's not that I, I don't dislike amy because she's a woman i just dislike amy <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing it's nothing against women in general yeah. it has nothing to do with the fact that amy's a woman it just no. has to do with who she is she's just obnoxious you know it's- <laughs> <laughs> see this is what happens when you amy when you have when you're co-hosting with someone uh, who doesn't believe there's a difference between men and women like Carl <laughs> really doesn't believe that, it. that he doesn't treat you with respect like i do <laughs> <laughs>